Well, last week I talked about the fact that there is a lack of love for the church today. And oftentimes it is those who claim to be God's people who are the ones who are the most critical of God's people. This is a major problem in the church and outside the church in our world today. Those who speak highly of God and, and claim to know Him and love Him do not share the same affections for His people. And many confessing Christians today, they claim they do not need the church and they feel as if it would be easier if they just go at life on their own, alone with God. And we said that the problem with that is that God makes it very, very clear in His Word that we are not to live our lives as Christians in isolation, separated from His people and His church. He makes it clear in His Word that we cannot be who God has called us to be without other believers. I mean, how can we be faithful to God to love others and serve others and sharpen others and be sharpened by others, which is what God clearly says we're to be doing in His Word if we don't associate with any other? It's as simple as that. God makes it crystal clear in His Word that loving Him and loving His people are one and the same. These two Things are not to be separated in the life of a believer. And we learned last week, and we'll see again this morning, that this is evident in the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul loved the church. He loved the church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20. We are continuing our series this morning through the book of Acts, entitled To the Ends of the Earth. And this morning, we're looking at the second half of the passage that we started last week. We learned last week, and we'll see again this week, Paul had a tremendous love for God's people. And though it is not directly stated here in verses 1 through 12 of Acts chapter 20, it is clearly implied. In this passage, as Luke is telling of Paul's travels through Macedonia to Greece and then back to Troas on his way to Jerusalem, he shows that Paul had a great love for the church. He loved the church. And in this passage, we see several ways in which Paul showed his great love for the Christians he ministered to in Ephesus throughout Europe, in Asia, and to the Christians in Jerusalem. We looked at a couple of, of points last week, and we'll look at a few more this week. Uh, remember last week, we said that the first way Paul showed his great love for the church is in the way in which he displayed affection for the Ephesians and the Macedonians. That's point number one. Paul displayed affection for the Christians at Ephesus and Macedonia. In Ephesus, we learn that after the Christians had an encounter with an angry mob there in the city of Ephesus, things got chaotic and scary for the Christians there. We're told after that, though, Paul went to them and Paul consoled them. He embraced them. He encouraged them. Paul did more than simply give them the correct doctrinal answer for how to deal with suffering. He loved on them. 
he embraced them through it. Paul loved the church. And you can see that not just in the way he served the church and in the way in which he gave to the church and the way in which he taught the church and in the way in which he sacrificed for the church and in the way in which he invested in the church. He did all of those things, but he also showed affection, great affection for the church. Paul loved the church and they loved him. We're also told that as Paul traveled through Macedonia, he did the same thing with the believers there. The believers in Macedonia were suffering greatly for the cause of Christ. And so Paul, as he passed through this region, he consoled them, he loved on them and encouraged them. So you can see how Paul loved the church in the way in which he had affections and showed affections for the believers. We also talked about the fact that Paul showed his great love for the church in the way in which he sacrificially and tirelessly served the Christians in Jerusalem. That's point number two. Paul sacrificially and tirelessly served the Christians in Jerusalem. In verses 2 through 5 of Acts chapter 20, we learn that the reason Paul traveled all over everywhere risking life and limb was for the sake of the Christians in Jerusalem. He traveled from place to place, from church to church, hundreds of miles out of the way to collect money and support for struggling believers in Jerusalem. And guess what he asked for in return? Absolutely nothing. He asked for nothing in return. Paul's love for the church was obvious in the way in which he showed affection for her, in the way in which he sacrificially and tirelessly served her. Here's the next point. We learn in the passage we're going to look at today that Paul showed his great love for the church in the way in which he made himself available to the Christians at Troas. Paul made himself available to the Christians at Troas. Look at verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi. So notice Luke is writing this letter and he used the word we. So Luke is with him, okay? We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. Now, we learned last week that Paul is a bit behind schedule. He has his sights set on Jerusalem and it appears as if he wants to be in Jerusalem by Passover because his plan initially was to set sail from Greece to Syria and then go on to Jerusalem. But we learned last week that as Paul was getting ready to set sail from Greece, he discovers a plot that was made by the Jews. And Luke doesn't tell us what this plot was Many commentators believe it might have been some Jews on board that ship getting ready to arrest Paul or maybe even kill him and, and throw him overboard. So Paul figures out that plan and instead of setting sail for Syria from Greece to travel on to Jerusalem to be there probably at the time of Passover, we're told that he turned back around and he traveled hundreds of miles back through Macedonia to Philippi. Let's look at the map again. This is uh, Paul's third missionary journey. See the circle down at the bottom. He wants to go to Jerusalem. So he travels, though, in the opposite direction, the red blocks there, 
through Macedonia all the way around to Greece. And the reason why is he's stopping at those churches to gather support for the Christians at Jerusalem. And he wants to go to Syria from Greece, but he cannot. So look at what he does. Go to the next slide here. He turns back around and he travels hundreds of miles back around, back through Macedonia to Philippi and on to Troas. And as he travels from Philippi to Troas, that must have been a difficult trip because some of you may not remember this, but on his second missionary journey, it took two days for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to get from Troas to Philippi. But notice here it takes him five days. So we don't know what happened, but it was a tough trip. So he's getting to Jerusalem much later than he planned. He probably wanted to get there by Passover, but we're told in verse 16 that after all the setbacks in his travels, he hoped to at least arrive by Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover. And he was in a rush to get there. But notice, he doesn't just bypass the people in Troas. He doesn't just land there and leave. We're told that Paul spent a week there. Why did he spend so much time there? I mean, he's trying as quickly as possible to get this offering to the Christians in Jerusalem. He had, he had not initially even planned on going through Troas, right? Because he was going to leave from Greece to Syria and on to Jerusalem. So why does he stay there for seven days? Well, we're going to learn here in just a minute. It was for the purpose of fellowshipping with the believers there to break bread with his brothers and sisters in Christ there. And he did it for the purpose of discipleship, to disciple those believers in Troas. We're going to learn in just a moment that the night before Paul is getting ready to leave again to hit the road on a long, difficult journey to Jerusalem, he taught the believers at Troas from sundown to sunup. How many of y'all stay up all night the night before a long, hard trip? Well, Paul did. He did. He didn't say when he arrived, I know you guys would like to hang out, but I got to hit the road. He didn't say the night before leaving, guys, I got to get a good night's rest because I've got a long, difficult journey ahead. No, he stayed seven days, and the night before leaving, he taught them all night long. And we're going to see in just a moment that God used Paul in an incredible way that last night with the believers in Troas. Listen, Paul made time for people. And as a result... He shared in so many more blessings than he would have had he not. That's the reason why Paul was fruitful in ministry. Did y'all know that, believers? Because he made time for people. Folks, hear me when I say this. I've said it before in this study, and I know I'll say it again. You will miss out on great joys to be had in ministry if you do not make time for people. Very important. Parents, you got little ones at home who are begging for your time. And there are great opportunities to be had in those little moments for Christ and great joys to be experienced by you if you will just break from whatever you're doing and make time for them. Same goes for husbands and wives, teachers and students, employers with your employees, pastors with their congregants. Paul 
showed great love to those he ministered to by making himself available to them. He made time for people. He was available and he was used in mighty ways by God because he was. How are you doing in this area of your life? Is your top priority that list of to-dos? If you're anything like me, there are always about 15 to 20 things on that list of to-dos, right? Am I right? And if we're not careful, we could go throughout our entire lives consumed with that and never make time for people. Now, I'm not telling you to completely do away with your responsibilities. Paul didn't. He knew where he was headed and set goals on when he was going to get there, but he did not view, get this, Paul did not view people as obstacles in the way of his personal accomplishments. May the same be said of us. So Paul showed a great love for the church and the way in which he made himself available to the Christians at Troas. And here's the last point. We're going to camp out here for a little bit. Paul also showed his great love for the church in the way in which he taught the Christians in Troas. One thing Paul never stopped doing wherever he was was he never stopped teaching believers. And the reason why and why this is such a great example of Paul's great love for people is because Paul, he he never stopped teaching because he wanted to see every believer he ministered to thoroughly equipped for every good work he viewed it as his calling the calling of every apostle evangelist and pastor teacher to equip the saints for the work of ministry ephesians chapter 4 verse 12 he wanted to see the believers in troas along with the believers all throughout the region of Galatia and Asia and Macedonia and Antioch and Syria and Jerusalem, mature in Christ. Why? Because of the great love he had for God and the great love he has for God's people. He knew that as God's people matured spiritually, God would get the glory from their life. And his people would experience an even greater joy in their relationship with him and would be able to better endure under the trials they were faced with as their relationship with God through Christ was strengthened. John MacArthur once said this. He said, the mark of the loving ministry is selfless, tireless teaching of the flock. I agree. I agree. Paul loved the church in this way and he longed to see God's people mature in Christ. He says in Colossians 1.28, this is a part of your scripture reading for the week in your study guide. He says this, listen, Christ we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, we teach everyone that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That was Paul's aim in ministry. That's why Paul served the church sacrificially and tirelessly. That's why he made himself available and why he took every opportunity and spent every waking hour he could teaching God's people because he loved them. And he longed to see them mature in 
Christ. That's why he taught tirelessly in Troas. The night before he was about to leave, he spends the entire night teaching the believers there. Look at verse 7 of Acts 20. On the first day of the week, underline that, when we, notice Luke is with him here, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So notice that before Paul leaves Troas, he attends an evening service at the church. They have teaching, they have a meal, they have communion. That's what they did when they met during this time. And he taught them until midnight. On what day of the week? What day does it say? The seventh day? No, the first day. A Sunday. Now, it's important to note that this is not Sunday night here, okay, that he taught. This is Saturday night, our time. You see, the first day of the week on the Jewish calendar started after the sun went down, okay? So they, they counted the days from sunset to sunset. So this takes place our time on a Saturday night, their time on the first day of the week, and it took place on through to the morning. As early as the New Testament, we have record that God's people met for worship on the first day of the week. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, that Paul tells the Christians to take up a collection during their corporate time of worship together, which happens every week on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And Early on in Christian history, this day, Sunday, the first day of the week, is referred to as the Lord's Day. It's taken from John in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. The reason it's called the Lord's Day is because it's the day Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. He was crucified on a Friday, and he rose again on Sunday. And that becomes the day of worship for the church, and that's why we meet on Sunday, in case you're wondering. I know that's a long side note, but I needed to camp out there for a minute. So Paul is with the Christians at, at Troas on Sunday during this evening service, and we're told that he taught them until midnight. Again, he's available, isn't he? And notice what happens. Very interesting. Look at verses 8 and 9. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Very, very unique story that Luke includes here. Notice first, he mentions that there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. I think that detail is significant. It's late at night, dark. They need that room well lit. That room is probably packed with people, so much so that you have people sitting in the windows. You have all these oil-burning lamps. It would have been very stuffy in that room, filled with fumes from the lamps. And this young man, and the word young means he was past puberty, but before the age of marriage, so he's a teenager, this teenager is sitting in the window probably to get some fresh air from that stuffy room while Paul continues to teach on into the night. And this man had gotten a little too much fresh air, gotten a little too comfortable. We're told he fell into a deep 
sleep. Now the word translated fell or sank in the Bible is in the present tense. And what that word means is he's fighting sleep. He's nodding off, but he's trying to stay awake. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, we've all been there. Some of us find ourselves there on Sunday morning, right? So he's, he's fighting sleep, but he's progressively getting sleepier and sleepier. And eventually he falls completely out in more ways than one. Falls asleep, and he falls out the window. And we learn here how serious it is to fall asleep during a sermon, right? <clears throat> There's good application here. You've been warned. You've been warned. <clears throat> but we're told he fell into a deep sleep and fell from the third story to the ground. And when they, they rushed down to scoop him up, he was dead. This had to have been just a horrific, tragic scene, right? Would have been awful. But notice what Paul does in response. Look at verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. So though they took him up and he was dead, when Paul took him up, he took him up alive. When he took him in his arms, life entered back into this young man. Folks, that right there is a miracle. That's a miracle. Look at verse 11. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, I, I love how Luke just mentions that there. This incredible miracle takes place and then Paul goes back to get seconds. I love that. Uh, I would have just been fixated on Eutychus, who was once dead and now alive, and Paul goes to get a snack. I mean, it didn't surprise him. He had seen God work in this way. He knew what God was capable of, right? So he goes back and he gets seconds, and then he converses with them a long while, we're told, until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. I imagine so. So after healing this young man, Paul went back and had a little more to eat, and then he continued to teach until daybreak. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine when Paul returned from eating, a few things probably happened. One, uh, the people probably moved away from the windows, I'm sure. That happened. And I imagine that everyone in that room from that moment on was wide awake for more than one reason, right? God was showing them that he is in this place. And he is doing this great work. And why does he do it? Why does he perform miracles? We've talked about it over and over again in the book of Acts. He does it to highlight the great message through his great messenger. That's why he does it. And think about it. What if Paul would have gone to bed early that night to get a good night's sleep before leaving? He would have missed this opportunity, wouldn't he? God worked a great Miracle in the midst of this people in Troas. And we're told that after Paul taught them throughout the night, they went away and were not a little comforted. That is Luke's way of saying they were greatly encouraged. They were thoroughly edified. And the takeaway for us here this morning, believers, is this. Listen. Every time we take opportunities to share God's word with people, there is potential to make this kind of impact. Do you realize that? There is potential for miracles to happen. And I'm not necessarily talking about what took place here, but something better 
by far. You realize that when the people of God are faithful to share the gospel of God from the word of God, the spirit of God takes that message and uses that message to bring people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He uses this message to bring life to those who are spiritually dead, better by far. Jesus said in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You realize that when you take advantage of the opportunities given to you and are faithful to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is always, always, always potential for those listening to truly hear it and believe it and trust in Christ and have life through their faith and trust in him even though they die. You realize that? Believers, don't waste your opportunities. Don't waste your opportunities, especially for the sake of your own comforts. Don't do it. There are going to be times when you feel as if you have more important things to do, but nothing, nothing is more important than this. Am I right? There are non-believers in our lives and in our world who are faced with condemnation and eternal punishment if they do not turn from their sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation out of a love for them take every opportunity you have to pray with them and share Christ with them there are new believers who are not yet where they need to be spiritually in this broken and fallen and sin-stained world out of a love for them make time for them pour into them disciple them pray for them walk with them and teach them from God's word so that they may be complete mature in Christ there is no greater work that you and I have been called to than this Christ is called for all of us as believers to be making disciples by escorting people to Christ establishing them in truth and equipping them for ministry there is no greater calling on your life than that to close this out let me say this Though we've been looking at the great example of love given to us from Luke of the Apostle Paul, let me remind you once again this morning that Paul's example, though great, pales in comparison to the great love that the Father has shown us by sending his Son. No greater demonstration of love than that. Paul, in fact, makes this point in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when he says this, <clears throat> he says God shows or demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says this in 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, though you could go there as well, but 1 John 3.16, he says, by this we know love, that Christ laid down his life for us. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. No greater display of love than that than what God has done 
for us by sending Christ than what Christ has done for us by willingly coming to save undeserving sinners like you and me. Scripture is clear that God created man and woman in his image in a perfect state, in right relationship with him. But man chose to rebel. He rejected God's rule. He chose to rebel against God. He chose to go at life on his own. Man basically says, I don't want God to be my king. I want to be the king. I want to do what I want to do. I want to call the shots in my own life. I want to be my own king. So man didn't like God's rules, and he rejected his authority. And we all, a lot of us, we know what happened as a result of that, right? Sin enters into the world, and as a result of sin, death enters in as well. Not just physical death, but worse than that, spiritual death. The world becomes chaotic and unruly, and this picture-perfect life with God is completely shattered. God and man are separated because of sin. Though God created everything right and good, sin comes in and ruins and wrecks God's perfect world. And God could have left it in that state, couldn't he have? He would have been just in doing so. He could have. But we learn as early as chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible, we see a merciful and loving and gracious God committing himself to restore this broken and fallen world and a broken and fallen people to himself. Though he could have left this world, and more importantly us, in the fallen state that we are in, He demonstrated his love for us instead by sending his son to step into the world in which he created to restore and redeem us. God decided to reach out to us again and accomplish salvation for us through Jesus so that we, through Jesus, through faith alone in him alone, might be made right with God, forgiven and made right forever that is the greatest display of love ever shown that's the greatest demonstration of love that we have and for those of y'all here this morning who have yet to turn from your sin and trust in christ for your salvation i have news for you 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 may have had some wonderful love relationships in this life but they pale in comparison to the love of a heavenly father that you can have through trusting in his son. Listen, if this is you, you're not trusting in Christ right now for your salvation, God invites you in his word. I invite you this morning, if you have not, to enter into this great relationship, the greatest relationship you'll ever have, and experience the amazing, wonderful love of your heavenly father. And the way to do it is by turning from your sin you got to turn from the direction you're going. you got to give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus and trust in him alone for your salvation. This is the necessary first step to being able to love others the way God has called for you to. You must first have a right relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you have never made this decision, for Christ, I I invite you, I pray today be the day, and I invite you to do so this morning. Turn from your sin, give your life up and over to Jesus.
and be saved. Let's pray.